0: Hello, TCO listeners, I am here today with Dave Colley, host of the hit Wondery podcast, COLD. The COLD podcast focuses on the 2009 Susan Powell case here in Utah and took a deep dive into her disappearance. COLD inspired the creation of The Chosen Ones, and I admire the work Dave has done on behalf of the victims and his advocacy work for domestic violence. Dave is not only an investigative journalist for KSL, but he is also a writer and photographer. Dave, I want to thank you so much for joining me today on The Chosen Ones and for your advocacy work on behalf of Susan, Charlie, and Brayden Powell.
1: Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Uh, COLD was uh, became more than just a job. It was a mission to me, and I know that it's reached a lot of people, so thank you.
0: Absolutely. So let's talk about COLD a little bit. So what influenced you to investigate that?
1: So the Susan Powell investigation that became the COLD podcast for me went back to being a reporter who had worked the story uh when it unfolded uh you know for anyone who's not familiar it's the story of this woman Susan Powell who disappeared December 7th 2009 uh her husband Josh Powell claimed to have gone out on a camping trip with the couple's two children ages uh 4 and 2 at the time uh going into a snowstorm in the middle of winter he returns his wife is nowhere to be found police immediately suspect that he is uh killed her and disposed of her body, but they are never able to uh, secure criminal charges or to make an arrest. Uh, Josh Powell ends up taking his own life in 2012, killing the boys as well in Washington state. And uh, from that point going forward, the West Valley City Police Department that had investigated this case basically said, we've exhausted our leads. We don't uh, necessarily have any you know, reason to believe that we will, will ever take anyone into the criminal justice system. In 2013, the West Valley City Police Department essentially said that their case had gone cold. They had exhausted all of their tips. There was no expectation that they would be taking anybody into the criminal justice system. And so they, at that point, released a redacted copy of their case files. Uh, right. I, as a reporter and producer, started looking through that, looking for new angles or stories to tell, um, information that would help explain why this investigation had, had played out the way it did. Mm-hmm. And um, it just became clear that there was so much there to cover, especially so much of uh, Susan's own story that had not been told, right. uh, that it needed to be done in a comprehensive way. And so that, that was kind of the birth of the idea of uh, doing it as a podcast.
0: Nice, yeah, and it's, and it's a case that has stuck with me, being here local as well, and these familial cases, I think, hit us a little bit more so than some others, but, um, but with that, what were the most difficult parts for you covering the case?
1: I mean, this is clearly a story where you have, as with the Daybell case, you have two children who, through no fault of their own, lost right. their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that weighed heavily on me. Uh, there, there were a lot of people close to Susan Powell who to this day, you know, 10 years or so later still feel very strongly the emotions that are tied up with this. And so, uh, to go in and, uh, ask them to relive in many cases, some of those experiences, um, mm-hmm. which I need to be able to tell the, a, a full and complete story, um, was in many ways really tough, and you know, just personally, day in day out, yeah. living in a in a space where you were kind of trying to get inside the head of somebody who would do such a thing, uh, Josh exactly. Powell, uh, it was very difficult as well.
0: Right, and that's yeah. Those are excellent points. So, since you are familiar with familial homicide cases, when did you first hear about the de Bell case? I was.
1: I want to say I started becoming aware of it around this time so October November in 2019 mm-hmm. and at the time it was just this sort of bizarre circumstance um, hey. you know for KSL uh southern Idaho southeastern Idaho is within the the region that we sometimes cover it's outside mm-hmm. of you know salt lake but um we're always watching for stories that yeah. are in that radius. And this was one that I think a few people in our newsroom kind of raised an eyebrow at. Mm -hmm. And it became more so on my radar um, as we started getting into the early part of 2020. And with each passing week or month, it seemed strange that these children had not yet been found, and the right. uh, stories that were being given um, really were, were kind of strange. And in fact, the the point that really tipped me over, I can tell you, is uh, back in January, before COVID really shut down everything, I was actually on the island of Kauai, um, wow. and I returned home from that trip and saw the coverage saying that Chad and Lori, were staying less than, it was less than a quarter mile away from where I was at in Princeville. Oh and my they, gosh. And they had been there for a while. <gasps> wow. And I had been completely unaware. But at that point I thought, oh, this is, this is too weird. How are these people over yeah. in Hawaii right. with everything else going on?
0: Right holy cow, I didn't realize that. That's wild. Yeah, yeah. That gave me chills, actually. So now let's dive into a little bit about um, your coverage of the case as well as KSL. So uh, KSL reported or had a photo of a satellite of Chad Daybell's property, as well as a 3D model. Can you tell us what that was and how that came about?
1: Absolutely. And before I do that, I should give some credit. Uh, There's a a fantastic reporter at KSL named Garna Mejia who has yes. been dogging this story. Um, yeah. And so a lot of the day in, day out coverage that you've seen from KSL is mm-hmm. a result of Garna's work. What I have done is taken some of, um, some of the things that I learned from the cold podcast, analyzing right. digital data right. and applied those to this case. So um, a producer that I work with had come up with an idea, her name is Kira Faramond, to check and see if there might be satellite imagery from the Daybell property around right. the time that we knew the kids disappeared. Right. Um, the problem is satellite imagery, publicly available satellite imagery is expensive. Yeah. Uh, you're talking yeah. lots and lots of money to buy images and you're kind of at the whim of whatever's available. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a given satellite passing over a given point of the earth it has to be, you know, a cloud-free day or a mostly cloud-free day. Otherwise, all you get is a picture of white. Right. And we didn't know exactly what day we were looking for. Um, however, once the Rexburg police served the warrant on Daybell's property in June of 2020, mm-hmm. when they arrested Chad Daybell, they filed some, some papers, probable cause papers that explained their timeline of when they believed uh, Tylee Ryan was likely buried on the property. And so that told us we were looking at uh, September 9th of of 2019. Uh, We went back and looked at the imagery that was available. And sure enough, there was a satellite that had passed over uh, that portion of southeastern Idaho that very afternoon,
0: uh,
1: about an hour and a half after the police believed that Alex Cox had left. And uh, (laughs) so um, I convinced our news director that we should spend the money. to to purchase that image, we did. And what it showed was this halo of cloud around the property. So Mm -hmm. it it was just lucky, a a matter of seconds, one way or the other, you wouldn't have been able to see anything. But here's Chad Daybell's property encircled by these clouds. And if you actually look down on a pixel by pixel level, you can see the dark spot next to what we now know is the pet cemetery. Right, Uh, which suggested that the ground had been recently disturbed. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And because the resolution of this satellite image is known, Mm -hmm. one pixel equates to uh, 50 centimeters on the ground, we can actually measure and tell you how far, uh, you know, from the property line, from the barn, we can place specifically this uh, dark spot. And, um, then we compare that to, you know, aerial images of the, of the police search and sure enough, it lines up. Right. So here you have, uh, you have some pretty striking evidence that indeed, as the police suggests, something was buried um, in that specific spot on the property in, mm-hmm. in September of uh, 2019.
0: Wow. That is impeccable. And I know, I mean, just going off of what I've heard on cold, I mean, you are also kind of looking into those same kind of pinpoints as well, like tracking where Josh was, um, pings if it's possible in Idaho. I think a lot of people do kind of parallel these cases together because there's some striking resemblances. Um, So how much time does that actually take for you to kind of Analyze that and then analyze, you know, again, what you went through with Josh's journey. It, it,
1: it kind of depends on how much data you're talking about. In the case yeah. of Josh Powell, um, what I was able to do was take data from a GPS tracking device that police had hidden on his minivan in the, the days and weeks after Susan Powell disappeared mm-hmm. uh, and go through that. And in that case, you're talking tens of thousands of individual GPS fixes yeah. uh, that are all time-stamped, and so almost one by one, having to go through those and see if there was anything anomalous that might have been missed. Um, right. That was that was incredibly time-consuming. Um, However, the results were I was able to identify a pattern of suspicious. Behaviors on Josh Powell's part, visiting dumpsters away from his home, and in fact, stopping along a canal at two in the morning uh, in southeastern Idaho, just ten days after his wife disappeared, which uh, had never been noted in any of the police files. Um, And so, taking some of that skill that I had learned from doing this data analysis on the Powell case and bringing it forward to the Daybell case. thankfully, I wasn't dealing with the raw data out of the devices, right? The the Rexburg police and the FBI, they've talked um, in court about they have this voluminous data set from the phones that they've analyzed. Mm -hmm. Uh, We just have the narrow piece that they've provided publicly. So it's a lot quicker to go through what they've already filtered out for us.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, that's pretty wild and I don't know how you're not converting to be an investigator <laughs> because it's <laughs> pretty impressive. I'm not going to lie. Thank you. Um, yeah. So you also covered Chad's prelim um, in August. So were you up in Rexburg at that time?
1: No. Uh, I'm sort of splitting responsibilities at this point. Uh, gotcha. We're working on a second season of the cold podcast. That's my primary. Um, and so, justifying taking the time off to do some of this spin out work on the Daybell case, um, yeah. I was watching the, the feed, the court feed, right. um, which thankfully, I mean, the technology has improved so much from mm-hmm. even 10 years ago doing right. the job of reporting that that's a lot more feasible than it used to be.
0: Yeah. Okay. But you did transcribe that audio. Correct.
1: Right. Yeah. So the, Let's talk about that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, the preliminary hearing for Chad Debo was interesting to me personally. As an audio guy coming from radio and podcasting, mm-hmm. I'm always listening for uh, compelling sound. Mm-hmm. And I perk up when I hear them say, hey, we have this phone call yep. between uh, Chad and Lori and Melanie Gibb where... Mm-hmm they are talking about the case and uh you've obviously heard this many people might have heard it if not go listen to it Um, we
0: played it on one of the episodes the full audio because it's pretty it's
1: it's very it's very telling is a good word for it um Mm -hmm. but it's also loaded with so much uh religious uh subtext and things like that that Uh, listening to it casually, you might miss. So uh, mm-hmm. one of my jobs was take that, transcribe it so we can put it on the web so that uh, someone can read along mm-hmm. and and pick up more of those references.
0: Mm-hmm. And it has. Um, I mentioned to our listeners that I just attended Julie Rowe's event. And um, this was seven hours of her spewing a lot of the same wording and ideologies that was heard in that audio. Um and when we're breaking that down, again, it's this bizarre situation where we can only understand so much of what they're saying because you really do have to look at what they're talking about in reference to um the church of the firstborn and all of these kind of hybrid theories too of the LDS religion. Um, but I also want to point out that you also worked on the phone call between Chad and Lori on the day that the children were found. Now, in court, that sound was pretty muffled um, from what we could tell. So did anything stand out to you in particular going through that audio?
1: It really did. And I mean, there again, you, you bring up that it was muffled. Um, as an audio producer, I have some tips and tricks that help me sometimes clean up sound yeah. like that. And I was able to, especially with the help of another person, I did, a, I did an initial transcription, passed it off to somebody else who went through, and he identified a few places where he heard it a little differently. And between gotcha. the two of us, we were able to, to really confidently reach a, a strong consensus on that. Um, right. Yeah, the context of that, you know, here is Chad Daybell uh, watching the FBI and Rexburg police go through mm-hmm. his property. Uh, we know from the description of uh, detective ball that he's sitting in his car or he's standing on the driveway and right. um when he calls Lori, the tone of his voice to me is uh i, I guess i would say almost defeated uh, yeah. there there's a there's a, a sense in his words that this this is potentially reaching ahead mhm and, and you can hear Lori and her questions to him, you know, are they searching the house? Where are they at? And, right. and so he's specifically saying, no, they're out in the, in the yard. And, mm-hmm. um, and of course we know that he very soon thereafter gets in his vehicle, drives away and, and is arrested. Right. Um, right. So knowing, knowing the circumstances around that call, I think allows us to uh, kind of read between the lines a little bit.
0: Yeah. No, exactly, and and it almost felt like Lori was kind of putting on a show, just based off of the levels in her voices, because it sounded like she would go a little bit more high pitched in some points, and then it sounded like maybe she was kind of crying. I mean, it was so hard to tell with the muffled sounds of it. And again, we played this audio in the podcast, and um, but based off of that, do you think that? chad could be charged with the children's murders as well as tammy's
1: uh you know it's tough to say at this point what cards the prosecutors are are holding right um you know looking at the circumstances of that phone call uh chad and laurie both obviously know that uh jail phone calls are recorded Yeah. so so the way in which they speak is not going to be the same as if they were you know candidly. Uh, by themselves some other place. They're having to be very selective about what they say. Mm -hmm. Um, To this point, we have not yet seen prosecutors come forward and file uh, homicide charges, even though we've had the discovery of the bodies. Um, One would expect that that would be coming, Mm -hmm. but uh, from a strategic point of view, uh, they also have their... They're suspects at this point in custody, right. and so the the counter argument would be um you know don't rush anything, wait until your case is very solid, yeah uh, uh Chad Laurie are obviously sticking in one place at this point um, so i you know i i I think it's based on what we know it would seem likely to me that we will see homicide charges filed at some point uh regarding. Right. J.J. and Tylee, um, there are a lot of other people in this story who have turned up dead. And yeah. whether or not those cases also resolve in, in a similar fashion, I think is it's still a really open question.
0: Yeah. And I know a lot of people were, again, comparing this to the Powell case because it seemed like, you know, authorities were not Arresting Lori or Chad early enough. And I know the frustration of that. Well, is this going to be a Josh Powell situation? Are they going to do something to harm themselves? Are they going to commit suicide? I think that was really the concern of the communities. I know I heard that a lot here in Utah um, as well as in Idaho. So I think that's the fear. And that's why I wanted you to comment on it because I know people have that still planted in their minds um, as do I because again Josh was running around I mean 2009 to to 2012 I mean that's a pretty big gap and so I think a lot of people were just nervous that that was going to continue on and hopefully not seeing you know her get off like Casey Anthony um, you know there's a lot of Similar cases to this, but it is very unique in that regard. So thank you yeah, for your insight yeah, on that. Sure. So I want to pivot a little bit and talk about um, covering cases, especially involving children. How have you personally been affected by your research and investigations?
1: I, I can't even begin to put a finger on the ways in which uh, going deep on stories like these
0: yeah. uh,
1: personally has affected me. Um, And I have a lot of sympathy for members of law enforcement who have to work with this kind of investigation Mm -hmm. uh, because it it takes, I think, a greater toll than many people can really understand. Mm -hmm. Those of us who might, I don't want to say engage with these stories as entertainment per se, but... um, when we are consuming these stories as news or in podcasts, documentaries, we have the option to turn it off and walk away or to listen to something different. Right. Um, Working on an investigation where you day after day after day are diving into the, the really terrible side of humanity um, can really shake, I think your sense of, W- what's good in society and and it yeah. becomes really important to uh remind yourself find ways to to take a break from it and remind yourself mm-hmm. uh that not every person is like this not every case ends up as terribly as these um that hopefully there are uh things that we learn from dissecting these kinds of stories, you know, for the, for the Susan Powell case, for me, um, what buoyed me through a lot of that was the understanding of the reason I'm telling the story is because it highlights a problem. Yeah. And uh, if we can't understand and agree what the problem is, we can't do anything to try to fix it.
0: Exactly. Right. Um,
1: so, so finding meaning in the work uh, for <laughs> me helped a lot.
0: Yeah. And that's great. And I know you've done a lot locally here in Utah for that. And um, but I think it does change a person almost in journalism if it doesn't. I don't know if that's the right job for you, Um, because I mean, honestly, it's we think about this stuff day in, day out there's no way to honestly shut that off, even if, you know, eating breakfast or going to the gym or something to that effect and having that in the back of your mind, it's, it's constantly there. So how do you practice self-care from that?
1: I've been, (laughs) I've been good at it and I've been bad at it. Um, you know, for a long time, what has really helped me is to get away from everything go out in the wild uh, You right. know, as a utah i'm lucky to have access to amazing mountains beautiful desert yeah. um going out taking the earbuds out
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: enjoying a nice quiet sunset someplace has really helped um where i really struggle quite honestly and especially because as an investigator i try to keep um you know i don't want to spread around a lot of what i'm working on all the time mm-hmm. um, and so the circle of people who I can talk to about some of these things is, is very small. Yep. Um, identifying the people who I can talk to who, you know, are willing to give me that space. Not, not mm-hmm. every person is comfortable bearing that load. Mm-hmm. Um, but just knowing who those people are, knowing that when you're feeling those really tough emotions that you can, you can reach out and lean on somebody is, is um, something that I continue to work on
0: that's great yeah i like that so to kind of round this out um honestly it has been a journey watching all of your hard work over the past couple years and i think a lot of people especially here in utah because i know cold is like the number one podcast here in utah so um what's next for season two and then as well as your advocacy work
1: yeah um I'll I'll tackle the advocacy side first. I mean, that for me was something that was unexpected. I, yeah. journalistically, um, usually don't step forward as, you know, having an opinion, having a position. My job is to try to tell a factual story. Yeah. But in the case of the Susan Powell investigation, uh, in cases like these, I think you do have that moment where you say, okay, we've invested so much time together. Mm -hmm. with this story, let's just acknowledge why this is important. And so I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of uh, different groups about domestic abuse Mm -hmm. um, and to try to spread that message. I intend to continue doing that as much as uh, is possible. Great. Um, Season two Again, I just, you know, talked about not revealing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's true. But, but, but I can tell you uh, the story that I am working on for season two is one that, uh, to me, strikes a very important chord, follows up um, on some of the themes that we, that we acknowledged in season one, especially right. around the idea of uh, believing women, believing uh, survivors of uh, domestic and sexual abuse and amazing. looking at um problems in our our agencies our, our policing agencies and and the courts that allow uh sometimes uh victims to to fall through so that's that's what's coming up next
0: that's amazing and yeah so as a rape survivor myself and someone who's very close to the lauren mccleskey story um Again, I thank you for that because it, it it's been difficult <laughs> to watch it locally kind of play out. And uh, so thank you for that. Sure. We're looking forward to that. So listeners, please be sure to subscribe to The Cold Podcast on all major platforms, I believe. I think it is. you yep. guys are on everything. Um, and then be sure to follow them on social media as well so you're getting those updates and when season two will drop. So Dave, just thank you again for joining me today. Um, And I just want to thank you for fighting the good fight and speaking out for victims and survivors everywhere. So thank you again.
1: Thank you so much, Celine. Appreciate it.